Pearl Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Would you pray with me? Lord, send your breath. Enliven our spirits, and may the wind of your mercy blow across our lives. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. As we begin this morning, I would like to invite you to take a moment and pay attention to your breath. Whether you're here in these hard blue plastic chairs or at home, hopefully in a more comfortable chair, just pause. Set your feet on the floor if you like and feel. Inhale and exhale. What is that like? Do you feel the coolness of the inhale and the warmth as your body releases, the way the inhale enlivens and the exhale relaxes? It's no accident that breath is one of the key images we find throughout the scriptures, because breath is as close and as intimate to our lives as anything could be. Our days are companioned by, sustained by this rhythm of breath. Mostly we're unaware of it as our body just takes care of us in the background as we go about our business. But sometimes our breath comes into sharp focus, like when you're on a run or on a steep hike and your breath comes sharp and ragged. We're in a sermon series right now on theological imagery, these metaphors that are central to human life and so populate the Bible. Water, breath, fire, and tree. Now, Mike and I brainstormed those a while back, and only later did I realize that we had stumbled across the ancient four elements, water, uh, air, breath, fire, and earth, tree. It makes sense. These are like building blocks of human experience. And what I love about this series is that we are exploring how the writers of Scripture employed the most intimate, daily, ordinary experiences of human life to communicate deep realities about God and about our spiritual lives. These are more than metaphors. They are our body's knowledge. Think, for example, of Eucharist. We take bread and we take wine and we reflect on the most fundamental acts of eating and drinking, of sitting together at a table. And we ask, how does this reveal to us the divine? As we eat, as we drink, as we share a meal, we are coming to know God. 
And so it is with clear, cool, refreshing water, deep, enlivening breath, clarifying and purifying fire, and the steady and fruit-bearing tree. Today we ask, what is it like as humans to be the kinds of creatures who breathe? How does that weave itself into our relationship with God? How do we see in Scripture this illuminating both divinity and humanity? And as we do, as we pay attention to this metaphor, we come more and more to trust our bodies to tell us about our world. So, we begin at the beginning, in the book of Genesis. As part of the creation account we heard this morning, we read, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. In the, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, the Lord formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. From the Bible's first pages, breath emerges as a shorthand for a symbol of life. For us humans, to live is to breathe. And so a very common metaphor throughout the Bible for the living is those with the breath of life in them. My beloved dog, Ari, is getting older and older. And it pains me deeply to say that I know we are in her later years. Years, plural. Plural. She sleeps a lot these days, and every now and again, I'll look over at her, and I will freeze, and I will stare until I see her little body expand and contract with breath, and then I can breathe. <laughs> She's breathing. Okay. We know that breath is precious, and it's too soon cut off. In the book of Job, we read, if... God should take back his spirit to himself and gather to himself his breath, all flesh would perish together and all mortals return to dust. Breath is precious. And these last years among us have been a long lesson in the preciousness of breath. We remember Eric Garner, George Floyd, I can't breathe. Tear gas choking protesters clamoring for the right for black lives to breathe. COVID making our very breath a danger to one another, covering our faces with masks, failing lungs in need of too few respirators. Gray, smudgy skies full of ash as forests burn and we seal our doors and windows trying to breathe. All of these experiences bring home to us our breath is life, and also our breath is so very vulnerable. And so breath becomes an image all throughout the scripture of the preciousness of life, the deep, mysterious beauty of being living beings. For breath, as I mentioned before, is our closest companion. It's more fundamental to us than anything, more than eating or drinking. For except perhaps on Thanksgiving or at a Super Bowl party, we're not eating continuously every moment of the day. But we are always breathing. Even the beating of our heart, that constant rhythm in the depths of our beings, serves essentially to move the oxygen we breathe throughout our bodies. It is tied to our breath. And so Genesis pictures our creation as God breathing life into us. How intimate. Every breath we take 
we are marked with the intimate good will of God breathing into us. We live, and it is God's good pleasure that we live, for it is God's breath which animates our every moment. Well, the very vulnerability of our breath gives rise to a second use of breath in the scriptures, breath as recreation, breath as bringing us back to life. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? Or have you ever struggled to catch your breath and then with a shuddering gasp, your lungs expand and the world explodes with color and vitality and you just stop and relish breath? In a less dramatic sense, you know that morning after a cold when suddenly you awake and the congestion is gone and every breath is like honey? In the book of Ezekiel, the people of God find their lives in ruins and their nation is shattered. They are in exile and their dream of being a kingdom of priests who mediate God's presence in the world seems laughable. And to express this, the prophet reaches for the image of dry bones in a desert valley bodies entirely without breath, without life. And then breath becomes the image of recreation. Ezekiel 37, Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet a vast multitude. Just as Genesis pictures the creation of life as the giving of breath, and so ties breath to the beauty and preciousness of living, here Ezekiel ties breath to the restoration of things lost and beyond hope. And I think this is a really potent image for us to use in the places we feel are beyond hope, beyond remedy. I know that many of us here at Pearl are in the midst of deconstructing our faith and reconstructing, and a lot of us have struggled with prayer. Uh, many of you have said to me, I don't really know what to do with prayer anymore. Uh, my old understandings of prayer no longer make sense. Well, one way we might find our way into prayer might be offering our breath as prayer. Think of picturing a person or a situation who seems beyond help, that's out of control, and simply breathing in silence and offering that breath as prayer. God, the wind is knocked out of me. Here there seems to be no life left in this relationship, in this dream, in my career, in their health. God, let us catch our breath. God, may they breathe again. Let your breath fill them. And then perhaps we release the words and just simply breathe. Breathe our prayer. This brings us right to the cusp of one of the central mysteries of the scriptures. In both Hebrew and Greek, the same word is used for breath and for wind and for spirit. In the Hebrew, it's ruach. In the Greek, it's pneuma. And so breath is not just a picture of our life. It gestures toward the very divine life and toward the deepest places in us, which cannot be reduced to the merely physical, the mechanistic. 
In John 3, the translation never uses the word breath, but Jesus is again and again using the same word, pneuma, to speak of spirit and wind. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, and you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. And so is everyone who is born of the spirit. Similarly, later when the day of Pentecost arrives, the Holy Spirit, Tanuma Tahagion, Tanuma, is said to come upon the gathered disciples like a wind. Once we realize that breath and wind and spirit are generally the same words in the scriptures, we realize how deeply pervasive this image is and how central to life with God. And there's far too much for us to explore in one sermon, but here are a few things to consider. The spirit as breath means that God is close to me, intimately close to me in every moment of my life. Just as my breath is my companion of all of life with and within me, so God too is a continual presence near me. As the psalmist says in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit, from your breath? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. And so here, too, is a way that our breath can become prayer and teach us about God with us. And here, too, we connect to Jesus' teaching about the constant availability of God in our lives. Uh, Jesus starts his prayer, Our Father who art in heaven. And unfortunately, today we tend to think of this as our Father who is way off and later, (laughs) way somewhere far away and and way later yet to come. And yet the word heaven, uh, tois urinois, it's, it's plural in the Greek, and it really means the atmosphere, the atmosphere here and stretching all the way out, 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 as far as you can imagine. And so our Father who are in the heavens is the one who is immediately available to us no matter where we are today. Our Father in the heavens or our Father close as the air we breathe. This was Jesus' point. So perhaps our breath can become another kind of prayer. God is with me. God is with me. God is with me. We can really only today tip our hat to another important part of this image. Spirit, like breath, is a constant presence that we cannot see. And so the deepest part of our life, the deepest parts of who we are, are intangible and cannot be measured. Our creativity, our love, our will, our desires, our dreams, this deep ability inside ourselves to set our minds and to choose what we will love. This is a mystery that we call spirit. And just as Jesus says, the wind blows where it chooses and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, even so, the depths of who you are, that's from you only. It's controlled by nothing. It's what you bring into the world, your love, your creativity, your hope, your contribution. 
and it can never be reduced to physics and particles. In all of what we've said, just on the periphery is this. Breath is a gift. We inhale, and the atmosphere our lungs need is given, and it exists for us without any effort on our part. Our life is sustained by what we cannot provide or control. Breath is life. Breath is recreation. Breath is the mystery of the spirit, and all of this is gift. Think with me back to a time when you were in the freshest, most delicious air. Have you had these moments, a, a mountain meadow or a lakeside or the briny tang of sea air refreshing or the scent of flowers on a warm, lazy breeze? And you just stop and give yourself over to the pleasure of breathing. If we'll pay attention, our breath can teach us that what is most real and deep and true in our lives is always gift. What we can control and take hold of is so small and so fleeting compared to what is beyond us and yet given all around us. I want to read a poem by Mary Oliver, which summarizes this beautifully. It's called, What is There Beyond Knowing? What is there beyond knowing that keeps calling to me? I can't turn in any direction, but it's there. I don't mean the leaves grip and shine, or even the thrush's silk song, but the far-off fires, for example, of the stars, heaven's slowly turning theater of light, or the wind, playful with its breath or time that's always rushing forward or standing still in the same, what shall I say, moment. What I know, I could put in a pack as if it were bread and cheese and carry it on one shoulder, important and honorable, but so small, while everything else continues, unexplained and unexplainable. How wonderful it is to follow a thought quietly to its logical end. I've done this a few times. But mostly, I just stand in the dark field, in the middle of the world, breathing in and out. Life so far doesn't have any other name but breath and light, wind and rain. If there's a temple, I haven't found it yet. I simply go on drifting in the heaven of the grass and the weeds. I love this poem. It's wonderful to have control over things. It's so nice to put them in our little knapsack and throw it over our shoulders, or to follow a thought through to its conclusion and feel control. I do love that. But even deeper and more beautiful is for us to simply stand in the midst of our world, breathing in the gift and the mystery of what we cannot explain. I have a precious memory. Uh, I don't speak of it often, but it's this precious moment from high school. Uh, I was 16. I had a car. I had a job at the Gap. All of my money went back to the Gap. <laughs> and a summer vacation was ahead of me. The sheer freedom. I mean, there's just nothing like that freedom in life. One day, I drove up into the Santa Cruz Mountains, and I found, off of Highway 9, a small trailhead. 
and hiking through the coastal redwoods, I came out into a wide clearing of grasses and wildflowers rolling down the hill ahead of me and outward to forested mountains, which mountain after mountain after mountain finally met the sea. And I sat in the grasses under the sun and a warm wind came up strong and fragrant. And in that moment, the wind became for me the tender hands of God, embracing me, sharing that moment of joy with me, and promising my 16-year-old heart a world of beauty and mystery and hope. Breath, wind, spirit. Our hope, as we explore these images together, is not simply to highlight some ideas in the Bible, Rather, I hope that we can hold out some of the ways that our embodied daily lives can become full of icons, these pointers toward the divine who is always with us and intending our good. They can become reminders of the depth of our lives, our creativity and our love and our benevolence, inviting the best of ourselves to come forth into the world. Breath sustains us gives us life. Returning to our breath brings us back into vitality and hope. Breath surrounds us like air, like wind, awakening us to the mystery of the divine and human spirit. And breath is gift. And now we take all of that and say it of the divine. God sustains us and gives us life. Returning to the presence of God brings us back into vitality and hope. The divine surrounds us like wind, awakening us to mystery. And God is with us as gift. So breath then, then can be prayer, breathing in the divine presence, breathing hope for others, and breathing blessing. In John 20, the resurrected Jesus gathered with his disciples and he breathes on them just as God breathed life into dust. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Even so, our breath can be prayer, turning to our breath as an intention of goodwill and love. As we close, I want to leave us with one image. In the book of Exodus, Moses asks for the name of God, who is promising to go with him and to lead the slaves out of Egypt. And Moses is given the divine name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. We don't really know the precise pronunciation of this name because the Jewish people considered it so holy that they stopped speaking it. But some scholars suggest that the combination of consonants we have, Y-H-W-H, is meant to evoke breathing. Yahweh. Yahweh. And so our very breath for all our lives, whether we know it or not, is a prayer and a benediction. Yahweh. Yahweh. The one who is, is with me. May it be so, and let us pray. God, let your breath fill us. 
May your spirit awaken us. And may your wind blow on our lives. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Thank you.